Your positive, positive, positive imprint. 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 Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Hello, this is Catherine, your host of the podcast, Your Positive Imprint, the variety show featuring people all over the world whose positive achievements inspire positive thought and action. Exceptional people rise to the challenge. Music by the talented Chris Knoll. Check out his music and learn more about him at chrisnoll.com, C-H-R-I-S-N-O-L-E. Fabulous music and lots of genre, too. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Visit my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, where you can sign up for podcast updates and follow this podcast. Please share your favorite episodes, too. And go shopping. I have camping mugs, clothing, duffel bags, lots in my shop at yourpositiveimprint.com. Listen and follow my show from Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, or of course, listen from your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to hit that subscribe, download, or follow button, Your Positive Imprint. What's your P.I.? Glastonbury Festival was held over in the United Kingdom just over this past weekend. There is a new laboratory stage that brought science to life. Climate change was among the topics that festival goers learned about through demonstrations, games, and, of course, music, including music from the Matt Palmer Band. Today's guests are members of the Matt Palmer Band in England. Vocalist and guitarist Matt Palmer joins the show as well as drummer Neil Robinson. What's pretty awesome and very rad is that we're not going to talk just about music, but we're also going to talk about science. Matt is a climate scientist with a mega responsibility as lead author on the planet's most recently intergovernmental panel on climate change, known as IPCC. His role as a climate scientist is essential as the world moves forward with policies and changes. And Neil's background is in research and development where I believe algorithms, data, and mathematics are part of his background as he works on innovative ways to turn data into information, prototypes, and models. Well, both Neil and Matt have lots to share regarding their music, work, their positive imprints, and I'm thrilled to have them both and to learn more about what they're doing because I'm quite interested in their science and their research. Matt, Neil, welcome to Your Positive Imprint. It's so good to have you here. Thanks, Thanks Lisa. Yeah, it's great to be here. Well, awesome. So I found you actually through your music. So, (laughs) and I'm always searching for for different bands around the world. And you two just happened to pop up because you're using music to help teach about science and what you do. So, yay. (laughs) We've been playing together for like... We've been playing together for like 10 years, I think, Matt, haven't we? This be something like that. Yeah, I was I was thinking about it the other day. <laughs> and I was thinking, wow, it has been quite a long time. I was just going to say we met um, back when I worked in the Hadley Centre in the Met Office. So the Met Office is a climate research institute where Matt works and I used to work. And so Matt just walked over to my desk one day and said that 
you were looking for a drummer and uh, the rest of the stream. <laughs> We've just been, been jamming ever since in various bands. Oh my gosh. So how did you know he played the drums? Did he sit there and beat on his desk? And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was always tapping out rhythm. I just thought, oh, this guy must be a drummer. No, I think... Um, I think I heard it, there's there's actually a remarkable number of musicians I've found in particularly the Met Office. There seems to be a lot. I don't oh, know how wow. common it is for scientists in general, but there seems to be a few. I think he was playing in a, a band with another group at the Met Office at the time, and I just kind of heard heard about this, and uh, <laughs> so I just and I needed a drummer at the time, and it's always. I mean, it's really fun actually if you've got more than one shared interest, you know. So it is. Um, you know, it makes for lots of interesting conversations uh, in music and and science. Being in a band is a really good way to get to know people really well, really quickly. You know, you got to develop a lot of kind of trust and uh, that sort of thing, don't you? Oh, that's interesting. And you you have a, a third member who's not here with us today, but your band was formed. So, what was your intent when you began forming the band? Um, so I guess from my point of view, I had been in bands and played music for a long time, but I'd never really uh, taken that sort of leap of faith to do something kind of myself, where I was more of a central person in it. I'd always been a guitar player, an occasional singer, but I guess I just had a collection of songs and um, I felt it was the right time to try to record something myself. So I needed to assemble some people. And I was very lucky to find Neil. I didn't realize what a great kind of uh, uh, songwriting drummer he would turn out to be because you don't know until you try these things. Alex was another friend. I mean, I I know lots of musicians, but I couldn't have hoped for a better group of people to work on it. It was really fun. Um, oh, thanks, and- Matt. I'm just lucky to have somebody write great songs for me to play along with. You know, like uh, always being the drummer in a band, I'm used to kind of sitting at the back just going along with, with whatever. So you, you never know whether you're going to be playing with somebody who writes good songs or not. It's a pleasure to to play on songs that are great and kind of mean something as well. Well, and they do mean something. And your titles are actually quite interesting. And we'll we'll get to the titles. When you are writing music, you obviously have a message. And it's a pretty profound, powerful message within your your title itself. Who writes most of the music? Or is it a shared combination? It's ultimately a shared combination, in my view. But I, I tend to start with the initial idea, if you like, and I write the lyrics. But I think uh, Neil, in particular, has a big role in shaping how it turns out. I think the rhythm to everything is such an important bit. It's probably the most fundamental part of any piece of music yeah he made loads of great suggestions during the songwriting process we had a really fun I think we had three sessions in a rehearsal studio where we kind of shaped the songs yeah Matt's been very modest just for the avoidance of any doubt this is the Matt Palmer band because these are Matt's songs but yeah I've really enjoyed being in the studio with Matt and talking about the production and the arrangement and and that sort of thing but yeah these are definitely Matt Palmer creations I'm sure I have a favorite just because well the title is is pretty awesome. Well, they're all awesome titles, but one of them I love the music and the words, and it's it kind of brings to me a very reflective mood, and that's chasing butterflies. I find that kind of a very reflective 
song. Correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but it's Chasing Butterflies. That's that's a nod to something really nerdy as well, isn't it? It's not inspired partly by butterfly effect and chaos theory and atmospheric physics. Yeah, that's right. So that's part of the reason it's called what it is. There are connections to some of the some of the science even in that. There's a part in Chasing Butterflies that is very futuristic. What is life going to be like tomorrow? It's an interesting time to reflect on things in general, I think. I was trying to guess when you were talking which song that you were going to talk about because you were kind of giving us the the backdrop and your impressions and Chasing Butterflies is the one I thought you were going to say. I guess with a piece of music, what you hope is that the mood of the music, like the reflective mood, uh, which I think is in that song, I would agree with you. I think it does sound, it sounded to me reflective and the lyrical content. When it comes together, I think that's when a song really works. Chasing Butterflies is really inspired by the fact, not really common knowledge, but I have a disabled child, a disabled son who's now 10 years old. And he had a, a... he had a an oxygen deprivation event a few weeks after he was born, and um, oh dear, he ended yeah. Sadly, he ended up with widespread brain damage. And, oh, I'm um, sorry. So <laughs> it's a bit of a it's a bit of a heavy thing to drop into a conversation. But I think the thing is that um, chasing butterflies is really about uh, you know causality and cause and effect, and, and not knowing mm-hmm. what's going to happen next, and actually the things are in 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 his situation i mean you you kind of have to go through that adjustment process of getting used to that that idea but actually you, you're just on a different journey to what you were on and there are many many positive things about him and his life and the life that we have together but that that is a big part of that of that song for for me why i wrote it Imagined echoes spreading 
produces your music. So Alex really mixed all of the music that we did. So it was just, it was a homemade thing. We own the music. That collection of songs was recorded a couple of years ago now. COVID hit, you know, the global pandemic and shut down. We've kind of been on pause ever since, really. Yeah. In terms of the songs themselves, they're a, they're a collection and, and, and some of them are very old songs, like the song at the end, Complications. I wrote that in my teens, I think. The thing for me that's always fascinating is you never really know how the song is going to turn, turn out. You start off on a journey with it and you don't know the destination. And often there are like dark horse songs, like things that you don't expect to turn out the way that they might. So The Flood, I think, is an example of one where I was a bit ambivalent about it as a, as a song initially. I was super happy with how it turned out in the end. Politic Blues is about, I mean, I guess now that I'm talking about it, lots of things will probably resonate in today's political climate as we were kind of discussing before the show. There's a lot of things going on in the world that probably do tap into some of the content of the songs. Politic Blues was really just about politics in life in general and not meaning in the big P political sense necessarily with political parties and stuff, but just how that somehow when you're constantly worrying about what people think or whether you might offend someone, you know, it does take some of the, um, it takes some, some, some of the joy of life is sometimes lost, you know, the reckless abandon of just saying what's on your mind without having to worry about it all the time. say that like with with all my lyrics I try and keep them a little bit ambiguous in that I like people to be able to read their own thing into it I don't like it too prescriptive it's not always obvious exactly what I'm talking about but that Mm -hmm. leaves I think for people's interpretation and for each person to kind of project their own story onto what I'm talking about yeah and and I think that's important with songwriting for me as a listener because for one thing the mood for each of us changes throughout different parts of our life. And so you could go, I could go back maybe to listening to Chasing Butterflies in three years, and my reflection is going to be different in three years. Um, I guess I was just thinking about you talking about music and, and linking it to your experience. And I, I feel like I... I have the kind of the opposite thing as well. Music really takes me back to experiences that's indelibly linked to. I don't know if you guys get this at all, but 
certainly I, I find like I tend to obsess about this is probably something to do with my physical scientist background and my uh, neurotic <laughs> drummer and stuff I tend to obsess about music and uh really takes me back to whatever I was doing at the time I still I was listening to physical graffiti by Led Zeppelin the other, the other day it took me right back to being 15 and playing one particular computer game that I played at the same time I was listening to that back to back to back so yeah there's something really sort of deep in your psyche about emotional responses to music and uh, what you associate with that isn't there yeah, and that's true. And, it, and Kiss, I used to listen to a lot of Kiss <laughs> so, um, because of the drummer. <laughs> so, anyway, so when I listen to Kiss, it does bring me right back to specific school dances or yeah. when when we were walking from the house over to the record store to pick up the new album and then you open it up and the vinyl just smells so good and yeah. <laughs> so as, a, as a new record i don't know if this is i don't know if this seems like a tenuous uh link or not but i think it's really nice that people like matt are communicating about different things including i don't know their relationship to climate change through through different media now because i i think there's been a sort of observation of the climate change community, I suppose, that for a long time, there was sort of a lot of really objective communication. And I think there's an increasing recognition that there are lots of ways to communicate now, and different people respond to different types of communication. And, you know, there's nothing invalid about communicating through something, I don't know, that people might consider pejoratively to be touchy-feely, like music, you know, there's nothing unscientific per se about music music as a communication medium yeah well this that's a perfect segue to get into your work as climate scientists and as scientists in general who wants to go first and talk about their work neil how about you no, go first i think matt, matt is a good okay place to start. then matt, I can build on that. okay yeah sure so i guess a bit of background i suppose would be that i i started out uh, my career really as an oceanographer and uh, I, I did a I did a PhD at the National Oceanography Centre in Southampton and that was a mixture of going out on a research vessel taking measurements of seawater temperature and seawater salinity that was kind of a bit of field work I did as part of my PhD but then the other part of the PhD was about modelling of the ocean and it was the Indian Ocean in in particular and so I, I, I kind of did a bit of studying of this of, of ocean circulation. That was kind of the subject of my PhD. And then I joined the Met Office, which they're well known in the United Kingdom for being the kind of public weather service. But they actually have a climate research department that's been there since 1990. Actually, it, it kind of came about the very first IPCC report is kind of connected to the birth of the Hadley Center for Climate Research. So that's the part of the Met Office that I work in. And I guess for about the last 10 years or so, I've specialized in sea level research. So that's both understanding contemporary sea level rise, but also making future projections. That's really been the focus of my work. And then I guess about four years ago, I was lucky enough to be selected as a lead author on the IPCC sixth assessment report. So that's the sixth time that that body has produced a big collective scientific assessment of the state of knowledge of climate change. I'm sure many of your listeners will have heard some of your other people have been on your podcast, such as Nathan Bindoff, who've been deeply connected to, to these IPCC assessment mm -hmm. reports. They're, so they're important because they form the basis of the political 
negotiations around greenhouse gas emissions and uh, trying to reduce those over time, such as the COP26 meeting. So the conference of parties, these COP meetings are quite important because they're the place that the, the, the international governments get together and try to agree how they're going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and curb the worst effects of climate. Yeah, so my involvement in the in in the report itself, I did quite a lot of bits and pieces, but I was really a big part of it was the the assessment of observed sea level rise, and also a thing called the global energy budget, which is essentially it quantifies the effect of greenhouse gases trapping solar energy within the system, so that. It, system starts to warm up and that's really what manifests as surface temperature rises, melting glaciers, these various other effects. And then there's a neat connection to the sea level rise that we see. The warming of the oceans means that the seawater kind of expands and that's one big component of sea level rise. And the other big component of sea level rise is the melting of land-based ice from glaciers and ice caps and and the two ice sheets. So yeah, it was a very, uh, very kind of energetic and exciting two-year period with a lot of hard work. There were some real highlight moments. I was lucky enough to get selected to be part of the author team that had to defend these, the uh, summary for policymakers. So that's the final document that, that, that we end up with, which is basically a condensation of all of the 15 big kind of chapters of scientific assessment. It ultimately gets channeled into this thing called the Summary for Policymakers. And it's that document that really goes forward and helps inform the political negotiations. So we had to defend the text that we'd written to to country delegations over Zoom. It was just an amazing thing to be virtually kind of stood up in front of all these different people who represent these different countries around the world and having to defend the the text you'd written and try and agree, uh, you know, final text for that document. It was an amazing experience. I'd not done anything like that previously. So that was really interesting, exciting, and, you know, a little bit tense. (laughs) I would guess. Um, I would um, guess. Yeah. So, yeah, it's great. It was great. Uh, Yeah, it's a great experience. This last assessment report was very difficult in the presence of COVID, and a lot of people are exhausted mm-hmm. <laughs> but then again there probably won't be another major report for another six or seven years right but yeah I think the demands on the scientists who participate are getting bigger over time um, so that's something they need to think about with the process because uh, they need it needs to be sustainable as much as everything else needs to yeah. be sustainable well I certainly thank you for doing that for bringing the research into text so that it can be discussed at a table, so to speak, for policy change as our world moves forward with climate change observations that have been taking place, some for long periods of time and some for not as long, but there's still hard evidence as to, you know, things that that need to be done. And and so your responsibility, I appreciate it. I can vouch for just the sheer amount of hard graft and hard work, you know, that people like Matt have to put in. He mentioned it in passing, but uh, it's been a real marathon. So, you know, good on you, Matt. (laughs) It's not, you know, I don't know if people appreciate sometimes just how much effort goes into doing these things. It's not something you do kind of in your spare time. It's a really big deal. Um, A lot of effort goes into it. Definitely. But also the intimidation that scientists must feel 
when they're receiving some of the questions, you know, you're defending science. Neil, thank you for saying that. That was really awesome. Yeah, thank you. Uh, sorry, somebody's got to <laughs> toot your horn. <laughs> we don't do that in the UK, Catherine. You know, we need other people to do it for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do it on this podcast. It's your positive imprint. So, yes, yay, yay for the positive imprint. So, anyway, so Matt, anything else that you wanted to share before we go on to Neil? Um, I guess I was just kind of thinking that the translation of science in, into text in that final stage it, it is probably the most difficult part but I think it's pretty illuminating actually to be part of that you realize how much scientists talk in in jargon so getting that communication right it kind of goes back to something that Neil was saying that you know I think and then again I guess links back to the music we were talking about there are different ways to communicate with people I think to get to understand the way that the country delegations hear and understand the science is actually really illuminating as a scientist. I'm at one end of the problem really focusing on on the detail and I have the luxury of getting to spend most of my job thinking about the science but actually that's not the same thing as when trying to summarize the salient points of that and what's the understanding and Mm -hmm. trying to get that across in a way that people can understand is actually a skill in itself And, 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 and you can learn a lot from just hearing how the different country delegations also seek to find ways to make the text understandable and acceptable to all all parties there. That's Sorry, the but... English phone. <laughs> <laughs> the butler has just handed them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's because it's all old school. It should be one of those old ones you lift up. Um, you mentioned Nathan Bindoff and his work on the IPCC, his work helped Al Gore put together the inconvenient truth and everything that came about during that era. And I I use that word era because I feel, and this is just how I feel, and maybe Neil can, can address this, but the way I feel about it is it seems like we fall into eras. Well, well I was just thinking about, um, about, you know, a potted history of, of me and it, it took me back actually I can tie this into my music career as well it took me back to a clarinet lesson when I was like 13 where I'd been playing clarinet for a few years and I told my clarinet teacher that I decided I was going to start learning drums as well and he sort of sighed and sat down <laughs> and said listen Neil have you ever heard the expression jack of all trades master of none and I, and I said to him something along the lines of I'm going to be jack of all trades and master of the universe and <laughs> since then since then, I've been a sort of restless, neurotic, you know, true to the drummer stereotype. Um, so I started off uh, as a field scientist doing my PhD, where I went. I, I was lucky enough to do things like live in the rainforest for four months. Um, oh, cool! In Borneo, yeah, uh, measuring the gases that the trees produce there because they affect the way clouds are are created, and that affects actually the, the radiation balance, which affects the, the uh, affects climate change. So that's where I started off. I then I did some field work in uh, in the States, actually, in Colorado, so in the Rocky Mountains for a while, which was great. I went to the Met Office and I worked in the Hadley Center, where I, went, where I met Matt, doing climate modeling for a couple of years. But really, since then, my, my career has gone more down the path of how can we take the outputs of the science and do new things to make them more useful? So, you know, you were talking about the different eras, and actually... 
I think a positive take on this is that we're really at the stage where there's lots of people out there in the world who want to change what they're doing. And I'm not just talking about individuals anymore, actually. This is no longer about individual action. I'm talking about businesses and mm-hmm. you know, really influential things like that who are genuinely now saying they want to understand the problem space better so they can change their strategy and their policy and investors want to invest differently. And I'd really recommend, actually, if people are interested, there's a, I don't know if people in the States know who Mark Carney is, but he was the ex-governor of the Bank of England. He's actually Canadian. But he, he did these lectures on the BBC, the Reef lectures a couple of years ago. And he was talking about one of the episodes was about climate change and about how uh, financial sector can deal with climate change. And he, he was a real advocate. This is a real sober, you know, uh, kind of market banker type guy. He was really clear that people should not be investing in stuff that's not going to thrive under climate change, you know, because it's immoral, but also because it doesn't make any prudential, it doesn't make financial sense. And so, you know, it's really, uh, I really feel like the conversation has moved on to being something much more, much less sort of positional and much more kind of like, what are we trying to achieve here? So anyway, I, that's sort of where I am now. I, the last seven or so years, I've been, um, I, I guess, sort of arch multidisciplinarian. So I've worked in data science. I've done a lot of research with technology and technology companies and flitted between visualization and machine learning and uh like I say, at the minute, I'm, I'm really trying to work with a lot of partners in technology and business so that they can use not just the climate change stuff, the metaphors does, but also the weather forecasting that we do, which is inherently part of the same problem. How do you respond to the environment around the decisions you want to make? Awesome. I want to go back to your PhD work over in Borneo. Oh, yeah. Can you share a little bit about what it was that you researched? So you were talking about the gases. So, yeah, yeah. So, so, so basically, you know, the PhDs is a truism that they always seem extremely esoteric, you know, because they are, they're, they're very, very deep research into a very minor part of a bigger picture. In fact, actually, I'm going to call out to another bit of media here. There's actually a TED talk about um, the project that I was on in my PhD, and it does a really good job of taking a headline from a newspaper and saying what's behind this headline, and it looks at all the different research that's gone in to build up, including the project I was on, to make one you know five-word sentence at the top of a paper article. But so yeah, what was I doing? I, I was responsible for running some instruments, in particular a mass spectrometer, which is an instrument that can blow apart molecules and figure out exactly what they're made of. And so in particular, I was looking at any particles that were in the air. And when we talk about particles here, we're talking about extremely small things. So, you know, less than a micron, nanometers across. These particles tend to be created from gases that are emitted by the rainforest in that instance. And then they get chemically sort of baked by the sunlight and they start to condense and form these little sort of mists, I guess. So these mists, uh, the question is, are they good at being seeds for clouds or not? So some people might know that cloud droplets tend to form around nuclei, condensation nuclei. And so what I was doing was I was going and measuring all these little potential cloud seeds that we could find and seeing what chemicals they were made of. And then that was my niche. You know, somebody else was then taking that information about the chemistry and saying, well, how does that affect whether they're good at making clouds or not? And then somebody else was taking that research and saying, well, we know how good the chemicals are at making clouds or not. How does that affect the radiation balance and the, and the, the climate models? Uh-huh. You know, so it's really a huge team effort. And that field project, there was maybe, 
I don't know, from memory, 60 people camped out in the rainforest. And to be honest, a, a lot of the challenge with work like that is fixing the generator when the rats eat through the power cables <laughs> or, um, or, or, I mean, literally setting up electric fences to scare off elephants and that sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, there's, I, I guess... <laughs> I'm going to draw a parallel, although it's, it's less sort of a prestigious, draw a parallel to Matt's IPCC work with science. A lot of it's really about the kind of messy, hard graph that you need to do to get to the kind of good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of it's about keeping your chin up and, um, you know, keep going forwards in it. Yeah, I mean... So the work that you're describing then, Neil, was was super, super relevant to the chapter that I was on for IPCC, which was all about the radiation balance, basically. And clouds are the big, are still the biggest kind kind of uncertainty in our understanding of future climate change and the interaction of scales. So the interaction of these very tiny particles that we can, we, you know, we can't even see really and how they affect clouds and how that might change in future and, and how that's shaped the climate of the past as well, which is a big part of the problem is trying to understand what's happened to the past. It's all, yeah, so it's all super important stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, in fact, it's great to hear these stories, Neil. I haven't, I haven't heard these stories before. So uh, we'll probably have to go to the pub at some point. And um... <laughs> I really think this is one of the things that people sometimes don't appreciate about science as a profession versus most people's experience of science, which is in education. And really, until you get to at least post-grad, arguably later, a lot of people's experience about science is being sort of force-fed information, which they have to understand and regurgitate on command. And actually, as soon as you finish your undergraduate degree, the whole thing gets inverted, which is by definition, everything you're doing is stuff you don't understand. And I, I actually know, I can think of a few people that I've known in my life who've struggled with that transition. Sometimes the people who are best at undergraduate and school science actually make really horrible scientists because they're, they're not comfortable with not knowing stuff. You know, and it's the people that actually maybe feel their way through I mean, um, some of the undergraduate stuff can make exceptional scientists because they really have the pragmatism to to keep going and to, to kind of chip away at stuff until they find out. And the curiosity its a totally different skill set, I think. Uh, that's interesting. Well, I there's still so much in the world from the micro to the macro that we don't understand and that hasn't been studied. There's even animals that we still haven't done enough observations on to learn how climate change is affecting their diets or their habitat. There's just a lot out there. And we are given these these God-given skills, especially you, Matt, and Neil, to go out and do this work and learn about this world, this planet, and what is in store for the future and what might happen. So is there anything else that you'd like to share? I guess I was just going to say that it gets back to the music a bit again, and it gets us into the space of communication of, of, of science in general. But so there is a song that was on that EP called The Flood, which is about sea level rise. I think it's a topic that in, in some places perhaps it's becoming better understood but sea level rise is really um maybe the creeping challenge of climate change we think is going to keep rising for many centuries to come and it's a it's a a problem that's going to need dealing with we're going to have to adapt to this and i do tend to subscribe to neil's view of 
climate change, the science is really moving now. It's no longer really a conversation about whether this is happening and whether it's human caused. It's human caused, it's happening. So the question now is, what are the solutions? How do we minimise our exposure to climate risk, which includes, by the way, trying to coordinate efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions? I mean, that's the best way to avoid the future risks. But even, even with those best efforts, such as the Paris Agreement to limit surface warming to two degrees and preferably even 1.5 degrees mm -hmm. above pre-industrial, mm -hmm. Um, we're still going to have to deal with substantive sea level rise. So, so the flood was really my attempt to highlight this. I wanted to write a song about a problem that might help people engage with something in a way, as, as Neil said, I, I don't think kind of lecturing people on things is actually an, a very effective way of communicating things in general. I think if you can capture their kind of imagination or, or, or think about, ways to tap into them and i think music is one of the things where people can be very passionate about i mean obviously i'm i'm massively passionate about music it's been a huge part of my life and will always be and with that video in particular which i suggest i think it's the one i tell people to go and have a look at what we did because we really put quite a lot of time and effort into trying to make something visually interesting so yeah so i'd go and check out the flood and it's also the reason that the ep itself is called a rising tide so again it's not super subtle but it's it's just the fact that this situation is happening and i think people need to be aware of it in fact one of the recent pearl jam albums released i think two or three years ago was called gigaton and it just has a massive picture of an ice terminating glacier on the front of it i think there are quite a few musicians now getting on board i guess as there's always been you know bands with trying to push political agendas of course it's like almost the bedrock of folk music that that was really i think what i w was hoping to do do with that song and um yeah it's an interesting space <laughs>
the communication, just going back to what Neil said, the communication of music or other ways, other means of communicating science to people is important. And I think this is a great way. One of our scientists here in the United States, and you know him, Josh Willis, he is climate Elvis. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> so I think I, I think I heard one of your podcasts. I got to know Josh quite a long time ago when we were working in a similar area, and I've kind of lost touch with him a bit. But I went and saw his YouTube video where they did a, gr- a great job with this climate song. Yeah, him performing it as climate Elvis, so it's definitely worth it's definitely worth looking at. It is, um, yeah, it is. Great. Um, so in, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, and of course, COVID hit, so he obviously couldn't do his gigs. But hopefully, you guys will be able to go back out there and do your gigs and and make this ginormous with the message that you are trying to get out with regard to climate change and the rising sea levels. I'm writing music. I'm still involved in collaborations and we're going into the rehearsal studio. So yeah, so there's stuff happening. Yeah. Here's a question from one of my guests who's a marine biologist. Who is liable for the cleanup caused by climate change? A homeowner lost their home in Hawaii to the sea level rise. Yeah. I'm, and I think that actual idea is now kind of starting to appear within the, the political negotiations at COP26 and others. There's an idea of kind of loss and damage. And fundamentally, it's about so different countries have emitted different amounts of greenhouse gases in the past. And so it's about ne- negotiating what the costs of those, which kind of links to what you're saying, basically. So there is some discourse around that idea now. And also some interesting science, right? So I think Fraser Lott at the Met Office has just published an interesting paper about this. Yeah, how? what's the kind of, you know, if Fraser's a scientist, it's not his job to say what's the right way to do this, but what are the different possible ways that we could start to actually calculate these kind of, um, yeah, contributions? Yeah. Matt and Neil, you have been so inspiring and so informative, and I so much appreciate the music and your science, and that you are combining the two to spread the message and not just message, but your research. Thank you. So we like to end with last inspiring words. So Neil, I know you have to go. So Neil, why don't you take off with your last inspiring words? I think my inspiring words are try and be interested in stuff, you know, and and don't be sort of pigeonholed into how you think you should do things. I think in my experience, there's been so many different facets to tackling climate change that I've been involved in, and I've loved sort of being part of all of those. So, yeah, don't be pigeonholed and just go and follow stuff you find interesting. Oh, awesome. Neil Robinson, drummer from Matt Palmer Band and scientist out in England, thank you so much for joining Your Positive Imprint. I appreciate you. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Nice to meet you, Catherine. Bye. Nice to meet you, Neil. Fine. Okay, Matt. Your last inspiring words. As I was saying to friends quite recently, I think many of us do need these creative outlets. I don't know how much for Neil, I I should talk to him about this specifically, but for me, I was kind of at a crossroads when I was about 18 or 19, and I kind of had to decide whether I was to become a scientist or a musician. And uh, I went to science 
well I've tried to do both but (laughs) yeah I mean it's just one of those things I I don't think I have a choice with music I have to do it (laughs) basically I just compelled (laughs) I can't I can't not do it yeah so I I think from my point of view um it is about focusing on the solution space with climate change now that's where my head is at and the need to work together I think all of the problems and the decisions well let's call them problems let's say the challenges and there are always opportunities as well in in any in any situation but the opportunities and challenges they're all in this multidisciplinary space really they're at the intersection between science and society and and the natural environment i think focusing on solutions and we heard neil talk about this as well the buy-in from from businesses and and the way that i think we we collectively need to think about this yes yeah, just focusing on those solutions and working together and and the time i'm most inspired and, and feel most energized is in in my career it's been all it's been all the way through but particularly in things like ipcc where you really have the privilege to work with these people from all across the globe from different cultures and they all have something to bring to the table so that collective working i think is really the future of everything that we do so um for me these days, it's all about being a team player and collectively trying to address these problems and see what decisions need to be made in future. And that's really where my interest is now, is moving away from just the pure sea level rise stuff, but working with people who are thinking about the coastal ecosystems and what those changes mean for coastal management. That's where I feel excited to, to be working. And I think it is a I think it is a great time if you can be working in science to try and sit on the interface between these different disciplines. I think that's where a lot of the exciting opportunities and progress is going to be made. I agree. I think collective organization is really a means to solutions. We just can't do it individually. Matt Palmer of Matt Palmer Band, thank you so much for sharing your positive imprints here on the show. And to learn more about Matt Palmer and Neil Robinson, go to mattpalmerband.com and listen to their music. They have awesome music with wonderful messages. I appreciate it, and I'm glad I I found you guys with your music. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you found us too. Thanks for doing the podcast. Thanks for coming up with this whole thing thanks a lot for organizing it all and yeah it's nice to meet you don't forget to check out the your positive imprint t-shirt design contest go to yourpositiveimprint.com for details thanks again to matt and neil your positive imprint what's your pi